0: Today, we're going to embark on a new journey, and I would normally say a series, uh, but it is, this does not feel like a series to me. If you look on your bulletin, you see what? On the front. Okay. We're all breaking out in tongues. This is wonderful. <laughs> what? Some, someone raise your hand and read to me. What? And what's underneath it? Living in the tension, living in the tension of what? Life, yeah, life, living in the tension. See, Romans is our vehicle to practice what it means to live in the tension. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in a few minutes. Uh, But I'm going to be, I want to be up front with you. I had uh, high anxiety about this. And I'm not an anxious person. I'm not someone that looks at challenge and goes, but this I kind of (laughs) did. And we have been planning and praying into this for about three years. Lord, what do you want to say? How do you want us to respond? Lord, what do you want us to say? How do you want us to respond? And we kept pulling on this thread, and we're looking at the circumstances around us in this world, in the church, Everywhere. And this is of the utmost importance. To journey on what it means to live in the tension around us. It is very challenging. See, we live in a world that's very very much, okay, I believe this, I'm over here, I believe that, I'm over there. So you can take an issue, you can take uh, a worldview and this and that, and it feels like oftentimes it can split us apart. Who's experienced that and see that around you? And it doesn't just happen... You know, in the world, outside of the church, it happens inside of the church, too. Now, I want to say this. I love the church. I love the body of Christ. So when I say anything about challenges we see in the church, it's just stating the facts around us. We've seen church splits. How many have seen a church split, heard of a church split, or experienced a church split? Half the time, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Because there's tensions that happen, and we don't know how to live in it. And we have to learn to live in the tension. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can do that is by yoking ourselves to Jesus. It's the only way, because he sees what we don't see. It is so often that we, we, we strive after rightness and forget that righteousness is what we need to be about. And the only way we become righteous is if we yoke ourselves to Jesus through his death and resurrection. That's how we become righteous. There's nothing you can do outside of that. But if you look at the world around us, in or out of the church, it's been a lot about winning an argument. I'm right about this because this is what the word says, or I'm right about this, because this is right based off my moral code. Well, maybe, but who cares? What has being right gotten anyone? It does not produce life, not the life we're after. You look at social media, you see arguments. You look within maybe your family, you see these arguments about who's right or who's wrong, Correct? Who's got that in family dynamics? <laughs> yeah, family dynamics one on one, you're gonna see people have their own opinions about stuff. But what is important to notice to understand is that Jesus does something we don't see. See, we can we can think one way and someone think the other and argue back and forth. But if we say, Jesus, what do you want to say to us? Guess what's going to happen? Can you guess? There will be something right here in the middle that we did not see. And oftentimes it takes, it takes some of what's here and some of what's there, but brings completion to it and understanding. And we're going to look at some scriptures today that open our eyes to the fact that Jesus demonstrates over and over and over how to call out the tension and then how to speak life into the tension. Because remember, there are a lot of people that thought they were right and wanted to prove that Jesus was wrong. The Pharisees want to trap him at every corner and every turn because their way of life is threatened. Their belief system, they're being slaves to the law for the sense of rightness rather than righteousness, even though they might call it righteousness, was leading them astray. Because what will happen is we will look at Scripture, and some of us take an approach that this is what it says, and so I'm going to communicate what it says And I want people to adhere to what it says, and they forget about the relational part and the experience of relationship that speaks life into those things and why those things are there. If I go around and I condemn people from the pulpit or just bring correction, I'm going to miss it because that's about rightness, not righteousness. And those two are easy to get confused. I've lived in that for a long time. Man, I was a miserable person to be around when I was in college. Or at least I didn't like myself, because I was very black and white. I would never really sought what Jesus was saying in the moment. See, the life of Jesus and what's said in Scripture need to be brought together. Because he does some things that you go, what? And so, when we look at Romans Romans is a vehicle that will challenge us to practice living in the tension because Romans covers a lot of stuff. It covers correction. It covers sin. It covers salvation. It covers redemption. So many different things. And I'm telling you, I've seen churches split on just that letter. I have seen people at war with each other, condemning each other, that are supposedly walking in the love of God, but they cannot come together and have a conversation because it's about rightness. Jesus leads us into righteousness and holiness, and that's about proximity. Now, the reason, part of the method to our madness about asking the two questions all the time is is in preparation for this journey. How do you discern? Which means distinguish between where God is and where he's not. How do you discern how to respond to the situations around you if you're not asking, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And it could be through, he speaks to you through the scriptures, to your spirit, through the power. Regardless, how are you supposed to do it if you don't ask him what he wants to say? How do I get information from Mark if I don't ask him a question? If I want to get to know him, I have to what? Ask a question. If I want to know how the Lord wants to navigate the things in this world, I have to say, Lord, what do you want to say? And that is the approach we want to have when we enter Romans. And Romans has a bunch of tensions, and we're going to... I have no idea. People are going to ask me, and and you might ask me, but I'm letting you know now. I don't know how long we'll be in this. I don't really care. We are going to pull on the thread until God says we're done. But we're never going to be done living in tension, because you feel the tension. How many feel the tension? Okay, this journey is about how now do we respond to that, and we, uh, we will see that in Romans, we'll hear words, we'll see concepts, we'll see challenging passages, and believe me, they're in there, that shape our picture of God. For example, When you see at the very beginning in verse 1, Paul, a slave to Christ, the word slavery or slave, as it is in the Greek, gives you a picture, doesn't it? And most of us will come at that word with our own understanding and project that onto it. So how do we live in the tension of that so that our picture of God becomes clearer and he can debunk some things? That's an example of what we're going to do. And it's going to be hard work. We have to be patient with one another. We have to love one another. Do you hear me say that? We have to be patient with one another. We have to love one another. Because this is, this is Jesus. If Jesus is going to. We're going to allow Jesus to live in us and through us. We have to discern. How to live in the tension. Because we don't have a choice. Because going this way and going that way is not helpful. It might feel like we're taking a stand, but it's not necessarily helpful. We want to say, Jesus, what do you want to say in the midst of this? Because we can go after issues. That's easy. We can give our opinion on the issues. That's easy. It's harder to see how God wants to breathe life through you in that situation that you don't really want to be in anyways. Because it's really easy to, to hurl opinions. It's harder to live in it And walk someone through it, while God is walking you through it. But that's our call. So, to demonstrate this, living in the tension, I'm going to read a passage to you. I want you to slouch, stand, whatever you need to do to do your best listening. Close your eyes, open your eyes, relax, take a deep breath. I don't care. And I want you to picture this. I want you to visualize this. If you want to read along and that's helpful to you, you can. Um, I will be reading out of Mark chapter 2, 23 through verse 6 of chapter 3. And this is out of the NLT. I want you to do your best listening. One Sabbath day... As Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? So the Pharisees are challenging him. And as Jesus often does, when you read the Gospels, I want you to pay attention to this, he almost always responds to them with a question. Jesus said to them Haven't you ever read the scriptures what day in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry question He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat he also gave some to his companions Then Jesus said to them Sabbath was made for man not Man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Whoa, that wasn't on the radar, was it? Whoa! Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. They're watching him, they want him to fail. If he healed the man's hand, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. They're setting him up. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Exactly what you would want to do, right? Then he turned to his critics and asked, Oh, I love this. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day of doing evil? Oh, snap, right? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? Oh, but they wouldn't answer him. You think? He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This is about their pride. Now, I want you to picture this and remember this, that the man with a deformed hand did not have much status in that culture. His deformity itself, he couldn't do his tasks, his labors, probably. And now he's being called up in front of everyone. Here's the deal. He was standing in a place of honor next to Jesus. And Jesus didn't just say the things he said. He showed them. Did he not show them? He asks a question. He challenges them with that question, their own theology, their own understanding of the law, and he says, I'm Lord of all of this. Watch me work. Is this not better? And they couldn't say anything because he makes them look dumb. Let's just call it what it it is. When someone really gets you, you're kind of like, well, I can't say anything. I'm me. I just go, I mean... That's the best response you got, right? My best comeback. Because there's nothing you can say when truth is seen. There's nothing you can can try and argue your way out of and say this and say that. How do you argue with a man whose hand was healed right in front of them? That is life-giving. Amen? And Jesus did this left and right. He was being challenged. We look in Luke 13, 10 through 17. And this woman comes to him who's crippled over for almost 18 years. Doubled over like this. And again, they're accusing him. Again, they're trying to trap him. Because they don't understand what's going on. See, Jesus breathes life into the law. That's why he says, I'm the fulfillment of it. Because he brings relationship into it because it's always supposed to be there. And this woman becomes healed, and it says he humiliated the Pharisees. And the people cheered because of all the great and wonderful things that Jesus was doing. Imagine that. See, our call is to learn to navigate the tension like this, and the only way we can do that is we become single-minded in staying where Jesus is. It's the only way. I don't know any other way. I can't, you know, I've tried the rule thing and allowed the rules to breathe life into me. Are rules and boundaries important? Yes, but not without Jesus as the center pushing his own relational agenda, which is that you would have life everlasting. He goes to the people that we don't want to go to. And somehow, somehow, he breathes life into a situation where the religious people are condemning him. Persecution is happening all over the world. The enemy wants to snuff the name of Jesus. It's a fool's errand. Because God's already won through the blood of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ. He's already won. But let me tell you this persecution is not just in a foreign land, it's also here, and it looks different. It's in our churches. And it looks different. But it's here. It's all around us. I was the reason why today is called the, the message is called optimistically tentative because I was just that. I was tentative. I was watching everyone on our staff as we were preparing for this, get illnesses and their 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 spouse is getting illnesses, and we're praying in the spirit for protection because the enemy does not want us connecting with Jesus and illustrating a healthy way of living relationship. He doesn't want it. He wants us to live by this legalistic code that has no sense of grace. He wants to either us to either condone things or condemn it, but Jesus brings the health out of both and puts them together, and he drops the mic. It is easier for us to pick one or the other because then we don't have to work hard. We just argue it and throw our opinions. But how do you live in the fact that there's a tension? It's splitting people. That means there's a tension. That means there, and we all feel it. We all know it's there. And Jesus put himself in the middle of it. He is the only name in the history of this world that has power and authority. And you know why you hear Jesus as a curse word? It's because he has power and authority. And the enemy does not want us using his name with power and authority. You don't hear, oh Buddha, oh Hare Krishna. You hear Jesus, you hear God, whatever. Because he has power and authority to sit and live in that tension and help us navigate life. I haven't made my point clear. I'm going to try again. <laughs> John eight. I just I don't, I don't even want you to read along. I want you to picture this. And I've said this one before. Remember tensions happen in everything. They happen in our house. They happen. They don't have to be seem super spiritual, or seem like. The result is going to split a church or split a family, but they're everywhere. And the Lord cares about all those things. But this one, I think, is one of the clearest, clearest pictures of Jesus living in the tension and how he models for us that he wants us to. John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple a crowd soon gathered as he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? There's the challenge. They were trying to trap him and saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Whoa. You want to talk about clearing a room. Then he stooped down and again wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until Jesus, till only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She says, No, my Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now imagine this. This woman is being held to a standard of Jewish punishment, which tells us she was Jewish, which means that she is now in front of people humiliated. It's enough to know that she b- betrayed her marriage covenant. That brings its own shame. Now she's being used as an example in front of everyone And this teacher, this Messiah that everyone is talking about, and her presence is only to trap him and make her look horrible, knowing that she would probably die. Imagine that. You want to talk about the least of these. (laughs) Literally, the Pharisees know they brought her to the most high place. The best place she could be taken was right by Jesus' side. And he stands there and he writes in the sand and we don't know what he wrote and I've talked to some people and um, have some theories on that. Uh, Leviticus, not Leviticus, Jeremiah, where it says those who are wicked men, their names will be written in the dust. So I kind of get a chuckle to think that maybe those guys were seeing their names written in the dust. I don't know. It'd be funny though, wouldn't it? Not for them, but it is for us. (laughs) And here's this woman who knows her judgment. She, she and her mind, as far as her mind can go and work out and calculate, she's done. Imagine that. There is, there for her, there is no hope. There's no hope. There's no rescuer coming. But again, the Pharisees took her to the the rescuer. And he does something unprecedented. He asks the question, who's here to condemn you? No one. Neither I condemn you. Now, the story ended there. We're going, whoa, Jesus is condoning condoning sin. No. Because what does he say right after? Go and sin no more. He doesn't need to write a thesis on it for her so she can understand because she just experienced it. See, part of living in the tension is seeing the life of Christ to give explanation for what we read. She didn't need to, to have a three point sermon told her about sin. She got it because she saw one that stood in the gap as he did on the cross, right there, right next to her, and forgave her sins. You don't see the word forgiven, but that's what he did. And she has new life. She experienced hope in the midst of darkness. I bet you dollars to donuts she's bragging about that. How do we look past the sin to see the heart of God at work? Now, let's just call the elephant out of the room. Do you mean there's no correction? Yes, but how you do it has to be left up to Jesus, not your understanding of it. Not my understanding of it. Because believe me, I brought correction to people based off Brendan's rules of correction, and let me tell you, I got punched in the gut. See, he takes, Jesus takes the tension, and he holds it. Beautifully, without flinching, and speaks life into the middle of it. He didn't condone and he didn't condemn. He did. He brought both into the equation and poured his spirit out and I breathing it life. And I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And Psalms tell us how to do that. Be still and know that I am God and watch me work. Be yoked to me. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Exodus 14, the Egyptians you see today will be here no longer. You only need to be still and let the Lord God fight for you. How many times do we read that Jesus says, let me do it. You just stay with me, be still, and I will give you everything you need for life and godliness. I will give you every word. I will give you every action. I will give you every thought. You just be still and know that I am God. Abide in me. Be where I am. I will be where you are and watch me work. And we won't see any more church splits. We won't see any more of this social media stuff by Christians fighting each other, trying to take ground on who's right. It's not about rightness. It is about the kingdom of God on this earth Implementing itself in the name of Jesus to transform and redeem this world. And you are carriers of that light, of that name of Jesus that cannot be reduced because we use it as a curse word. It still carries its power. It still carries its authority. And the enemy can't do anything. He's fool's gold. He's everything. Jesus is everything. He has to be our magnificent obsession, our singular thought, and everything else that we worry about, we concern about, we fight for, will be taken care of. God will lead us when he'll lead us. He'll show us when he'll show us. We just stay where he is. And let me say this, we need each other to do that. We need to encourage one another, which means we have to continue to relate to one another, which means we have to continue to connect. I know it's hard to connect in churches and in life in general, but we cannot stop trying because we need each other. We need the encouragement of the body of Christ. Because I'll tell you what, I can't do this life without the encouragement of my brothers and sisters around me. I can't. This is a together thing. I'm going to close with this before I get preachy. (laughs) To give you a practical example. Um, In 2007, I was called, I was living out in Winona um, as my wife was finishing her last year at Winona State. And it was just an eight-month stay, so the winter was okay. To, I knew it was going to end, and I would be out of there. And uh, we got called to a, a Lutheran church in San Diego. And I have the utmost respect for uh, Lutheran theology, a lot of it, and this and that. But I was, a, I was an American Baptist going into a Lutheran church. And you, I'm telling you, I, whoa! Breaking that to an American Baptist family that had like four or five pastors in the American Baptist church that so was now working at a Lutheran church, that was laughable. But I remember being so overtaken by my own bias of, oh, I'm in this, I'm grateful for the job, but according to what I would want to see, I don't see the Holy Spirit moving. So in the first month I was there, I wanted to quit. Because my mind, and believing the Holy Spirit was at work, but my own biases of what I wanted interfered with seeing the truth. And when I was there, my mind could only conjure up two results. Stay and be miserable, because I need to pay check or quit. Right? That's all I can come up with. Isn't that logical? I can either stay and be miserable and hope something happens, or I can quit and I can retreat. And I remember... This is one of those times that God put one, the, the first of our two questions on my heart in those words. And I, I thought, well, I'm a pastor. I better pray about this. And so I took it before the Lord and I, I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray. What do I pray? What do you want to say to me? Remember that clearly. And I remember, I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I'm put out. Because I want to see vibrancy according to what I think is vibrant. I want to see the Holy Spirit moving, according to my own agenda. And so I said, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? And this is what I heard. I want you to pray that I send someone. Well, for what? To do what? One person isn't going to save this whole thing. And I knew that they were hiring a pastor. They hired a pastor, and he wasn't in town yet. And I, at the time, didn't know where he was from. And so the next day after I prayed that prayer, this new pastor arrived. And little did I know, he would become one of my best friends. And little did I know, he was from Fridley, Minnesota. (laughs) And together, the Lord helped us both realize that the Spirit was on the move and how we could connect and stand and walk with Holy Spirit. And let me tell you this, that's good enough. Remember the tension I had, do I stay or do I go? But when I asked the Lord, life starts happening. But then the Lord, through, through this person, I met a man named Mike Bradley, who's the head of the Alliance of Renewal Churches. And through that, I met a, na- a man named Tom Stewart. And through that, I met a guy named Mark Spencer. And through that, I'm now at Bridgewood Community Church because God got a hold of my heart and said, ask me what I want to say to you and watch me move. I never thought I would be calling myself a Minnesotan, ever. And now I don't want to be called a Californian. But I'm neither. I'm a son of the living God, and he wants me to stay with him so that he can breathe his blessing, and I can receive my inheritance and watch him move and shape us. In a way that we don't, it's not on our agenda, even our most spiritual agenda. Our results based on our actions cannot come close to what God will do if we simply say, what do you want to say? Life changing. Amen? Hard, 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 but good. We need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to walk together because this could be a long walk. I don't care when Romans gets done. Romans is the vehicle. But living in the tension is the life's call because we can only do that with Jesus. God bless the tension because it keeps us close to Him. Thank you, Lord, for the tension and the hard circumstances because it keeps me close to Him. I may stray, but not for long because we know the one. Amen. Whew. I'm tired. Can I bless you? Can I bless us? Try. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lord, you're good. You're good. Is he good? Amen. He's good. He's good. He's good. You're good. Lord, we thank you that you keep it simple for us. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Keep your eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me. Be still and know that I am God. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord, for clear direction. And I pray against, for all of us, the distractions that would try to keep you from being our obsession. God, you are so good. I bless each and every one of us in the name of Jesus, with the courage to not take the bait. The fool's gold. The stuff the world will tell us is important. But we fix our eyes on you in Jesus' name. I bless you with the ability to fix your eyes on Jesus. And the spiritual gift of receiving so that you can receive all that he has for you in Jesus' name. Because I am telling you there is blessing when you feel the fire around you because he is good and he protects and he strengthens you in the midst of the storm. So Lord, we want to stay with you. We want to hang on to you. And we want to be faithful to where you're leading us. I pray that we would not be a body that makes blanket statements, but we dialogue with you. We dialogue with one another. We ask each other and ask you, what do you want to say? How do you want me to respond? And I pray individually that would become either in those words or others that convey the same thing. Our hearts cry every morning that every morning we'd say, thank you, God, what do you want to say? How do you want me to respond? So I pray a blessing, a protection over us in Jesus' name, a hedge of protection as we go down this journey. You protect our families. We stand against the enemy in Jesus' name. Any of his traps and snares, Lord, we ask that you would burn those with your holy fire away. You'd get rid of them. And that we'd be still and let you fight for us. And reveal truth in life, in relationship, in the midst of the tension. We're not going to get it right all the time, but we thank you for your grace and your mercy as you teach us and reveal to us and show us. Thank you, Lord. I pray a blessing over our tithes and offerings that we will continue to uh, give with a a cheerful spirit and a faithful heart that we continue to live and give out of faith, whether it be money, time, relationship, whatever it may be, that we would give out of confidence knowing that you take us beyond ourselves and provide what we could not provide for ourselves. So we ask that you would bless the tithes and offerings for your kingdom and your glory. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Seeing all the earth shall you